running a minute behind schedule. I've now joined by three more brilliant guests. Um, I'm not seeing Mara's having some connection. I know that Mara is currently at a UK Dementia Research Institute event for early career researchers, I think maybe in London, so which could be causing a few connectivity issues. But um, thank you so much for joining us, Mara, and remembered your badge. Well done. So uh, coming up over the next half an hour, let me go to my captions. There we go. We have smart brain imaging to understand disease. And I'm joined by, by um, Zainab Sahin, Dr. Mara Malpetti, and Scott Mitchell. Hello, Scott. Thank you so much for finding time to join us. Hi. Uh, good morning, Adam. Good to see you. You well? I am. I am. We're, we're an hour in and the hour's flown by and we didn't run out of things to say. So that's always a good a good sign. Um, why don't we start with some introductions? Um, I tell you what, I'm going to go to you first, Scott, although I, I think you perhaps need no introduction to some some of our watchers. Oh, I don't know. I, I think, you know, the, the easiest way to explain me and my involvement here is I was married to the late Dame Barbara Windsor. I, I was with Barbara for 27 years. And as as well documented, um, Barbara was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2014. So I went through that journey with her until unfortunately we lost her in 2020. So what I do is now I, I campaign um for i'm an ambassador for alzheimer's research uk i do as much campaigning as i can to raise awareness to fundraise you know and just to keep this subject out there and keep talking about it i mean i'm very passionate about it i mean it's to me it's now part of barbara's legacy you know it, it's become more than her being remembered for her bikini top flying off in carry on camping or you know still people. one of my favorite films honestly i was so <laughs> excited because the carry i i'm kind of i was born in 1974 oh, i give away my age and I, I i was kind of brought up on carry on films and things like that i'm i'm so excited to i'm i'm only sorry i never got a chance to meet you know while you were still here but what you've done so much work since um i mean throughout obviously while um dame barbara was was with us and since as well yeah so, absolutely yeah i mean barbara was very courageous you know when she agreed that we'd go public with this uh, and that wasn't for four years into diagnosis because the, you know like a lot of people who get the diagnosis barbara didn't want to talk about it she wanted to just get on with her life as if to say no this is not happening to me and that's what we had to do until of course we got to the stage where unfortunately the symptoms were impossible to hide any anymore. And her neurologist, Dr. Angus Kennedy, and I spoke to Barbara at great length over and over again to say, you know, we need to do this now. And also you'll be helping so many different people by going public. So it took a lot of courage. You know, I'm always very proud of Barbara. The fact that she took part in this, this initial campaigning, she did videos. You know, we visited Downing Street to, to you know urge the prime minister the the new the new prime minister then boris johnson to look at dementia research to look at social care funding all of these things and i've continued that because you know her her effect which they called in the dementia world the barbara windsor effect really did have, have a big imprint and if i can continue to do that for her for all the future generations then as long as it makes a difference, I'm very passionate about doing that. 
And I think it's amazing when when people that have that reach use that kind of power, if you like, that they have mm -hmm. in this way. I mean, there are and I'm a big fan of Terry Pratchett books as well. And I was kind of love that, you know, people like like uh Sir Terry Pratchett and Dame Barbara that that did this because they're they're people that have got that platform to be able to to raise it um mm -hmm. uh, but even then people like Chris who would I don't know you would have had a chance necessarily to join us Chris Roberts who joined at the start of the day you don't have to be a celebrity to kind of pick up that mm -hmm. that flag or that banner and wave it that that ordinary yeah people can also raise awareness both in their communities or through their day you know through they doing their life whether that's through becoming dementia friends or, or joining community groups and things like that but thank you very much Scott for that great introduction I'm gonna go to uh Mara next to give you introduce yourself Mara hi Adam it's super nice to see you also Zainab it's super nice to see you after a few years and Scott is super nice to meet you because you are super here of fundraising and raising awareness about dementia so you're doing an amazing job really um so yeah like just to introduce this briefly myself I'm Maura Malpetti and I'm a race against dementia and Alzheimer's research UK fellow and I'm working at the University of Cambridge today I'm tuning in from Manchester because I'm here for a conference so I hope that uh, it will not be loud during the break um so yeah I'm super happy to be here and uh, uh I'm here to also raise a bit of awareness about the tools that we use uh, to study dementia and in particular in Cambridge we are looking at inflammation in dementia and uh, that is a very common and present features across different types of dementia so it could be a good target to try to find a cure for different types of dementia um, and in Cambridge uh, we are looking at that with these special uh, scans that are called positron emission tomography and they are uh, particular because we uh, inject dyes in the volunteers and these go to the brain and then with they bind the specific proteins and because of that we can see where the inflammation is in the in the brain um, and we are trying also to develop some uh, more feasible and easy test with blood in blood uh, to look at inflammation with a simple blood test rather than asking people with dementia coming every time for these uh, uh, very sophisticated scans um so yeah there is a lot of things that we can do and uh, this is just one of the things that we focus in in Cambridge that I'm focusing for my fellowship um yeah it's just to give you a bit of flavor um well, I'm going to come back to you to ask you more questions. And in the meantime, I'm going to go to, I, I should add that I didn't give you a, the introduction that this session is called Smart Brain Imaging to Understand Disease. Um, Zainab, why don't I come to you next? Why don't you just introduce yourself? Hello. Hi. So my name is Zainab Shahin and I'm a PhD student at King's College London. And honestly, it's a pleasure to be with you three here today. It's like a big hug. So currently at King's College London, I um, use retinal imaging, so not brain imaging, but retinal imaging and machine learning in the hopes of detecting and subtyping dementia. So that's my big four year target. So currently I'm supervised by Professor Dominic Fitch, a professor of old age psychiatry and um, Professor Tim Jackson, who's a consultant ophthalmologist at King's College Hospitals. So um, well, people wouldn't think of the eye would they when they think of dementia they don't think about eyesight necessarily or what you can learn from an eye sorry I interrupted you when you finished no no sorry I'm, I'm like droning on well I'm gonna I'm gonna come to you first and what so why don't you tell us tell us more fully about your work 
Okay, sure. sure. So um, I'm currently working in the intersection of um, psychiatry, neurology and ophthalmology, well, retinal imaging. And it's actually quite exciting because um, retinal imaging, the area of it, it's something that's becoming vastly popular right now. Um, I mean, I'm currently in the process of writing a paper. And since 2012, there's just been less than 600 papers published looking at um, retinal imaging and dementia. For my PhD, um, I'm going to be attaching this onto the already ongoing Enlist UK study, which my colleague Olga had fantastically spoken about. Yes. So um, my um, study is going to be like an extension of um, of Enlist. So in the hopes of using eye scans as a potential new biomarker to detect and subtype dementia. And hopefully I'll be um, looking to recruit participants in the new year. So hopefully it will go well. So you have you, you've just had the lovely experience that is going through ethics. I imagine. Well, we're in the process of actually preparing the paperwork. Olga is so brilliant in helping me out. We should say, I mean, for anybody who's, I mean, if anybody's thinking about participating in research or going and signing up to join dementia research, is every study that's in there and every research study across the UK will have had this ethical approval. And um, I, I, I'm just going to ask you to tell me what you think about the ethics process in a facial expression. Um, just if anybody's worried that that's not necessarily like a, a rigorous process to make sure to show me your faces that tell me what that's like. Go on, do it. <laughs> I mean, I think it's yeah, rigorous go, is a good word. <laughs> if you go to Twitter and hashtag, look, we've had a one of our people on uh, Robin Dowland, who isn't joining us this year, but I think did last year is talking about they're doing ethics amendments now. Ethics amendments, ethics panels are notoriously rigorous. They will very much uh, make sure that the research is is useful and valuable and the information you'll get with that so and i th i think it's very important also for safety reasons right absolutely. you want to really uh be sure that people sign up for things in, that are safe and well done so like i mean they are rigorous and sometimes long but i think it's very important yeah i don't think anybody would question the the mm. overall value of adding those ethics rules yeah. to it so can you tell me so looking at the eye, I, I was at a conference the other week where um, they were looking at how they can actually measure amyloid in the eye. Is that something you, you're doing at King's? Actually, uh, it's, I mean, hopefully, if we can detect um, amyloid using sophisticated retinal imaging, I, I think that would be fantastic because it, it would mean that we can potentially use eyes as a, like eye imaging as a biomarker. Um, but I've um, I've also um, read some papers actually from our colleagues, um, especially in Italy, who have um, detected amyloids um, you, um, in the eye, in the back, in the, in the retina. But this was done on post mortem um, individuals rather than um, alive participants. We have a podcast coming in, which we're recording in the new year, uh, looking at this, there's uh, researchers in Canada looking at it. And the idea is, is that you could then potentially use equipment that's already in places like opticians to take that, that picture, they apply artificial intelligence to it, which I think I've got a question about AI in my list here, um, to, to predict that so that you could start to measure that over time from people who aren't necessarily worried about dementia or going to a specific clinic for this. They're just 
part of their routine eye test is to start to look for that, which would be a great way because I'm sure we come up with this. One of the problems that we face right now is, is some of the drug trials, like the one we've heard about this week, some of the real problems is finding people to participate in those when they're looking for very specific people who aren't necessarily going to the doctors or coming forward because they haven't got a memory problem. But if you can start to look at the presence of these things in advance, you can find people before symptoms go and recruit them into trials. And then that that helps. I'm going to shut up now. Mara, tell us more about your work. No, you should never shut up. I think it's no, very no, interesting no, no. Uh, it, tool. It's also, like it's very interesting, and sign up just to follow up. Like potentially, as Adam said, we could use that as a screening tool, right? In the broader population. So I will look for for the to your PhD results. Um, so yeah, like uh, for my research, uh, um, what do you want to know a bit more in particular? I don't know. Well, Scott's with us. Scott's. I, I did put on the question, Scott, ask researcher questions. <laughs> so, well, never mind me, Kuroi. Scott, did you think of anything? Yeah, hi, Zainab. Um, I'd like to know, obviously, you're doing all this incredible work around the eyes, etc. Now, I understand that it's the imaging and the scans and things like that where you really pick up on these things. Are there any times when we ourselves would notice any kind of symptoms that you think would be related to dementia through the eyes like you know any blurring or just distortion or anything like that uh that's actually uh that's actually such a good question and thank you so much for asking it asking it so, um right now i i mean the, the way that, that for my phd anyway so Another thing that I'm trying to differentiate using machine learning is to see whether, for instance, Alzheimer's disease causes causes bad eyesight, or whether bad eyesight causes Alzheimer's disease. So yeah. it's a bit of a like you know a chicken and an egg situation. Yeah. So, um, I mean, to answer to answer your question, um, I mean. You you can definitely get um, poor eyesight if you um, do have um, do have dementia, but what I am actually looking at um, using imaging such as optical coherence um, tomography is actually some of the cells that are actually at the back of the eye and how they influence uh, vascular changes. But of course, uh, when these cells change, you would also have. Um, uh, blurriness, for instance, or you might see um, a double, so it would definitely affect uh, physically the way that you see as well. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's that's the the tricky thing. So you, you both you both think are you both using artificial intelligence or machine learning as well? Uh, Mara looks like she'd like to. Are you planning to? Is that you? You are, but you just don't like to answer questions about it because it's a bit hard. Because. Um, so for those who are watching who don't really know much about technology, could you maybe tell us what the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence is? Um, and then how any examples of how this might have already been used in day-to-day -day ways that people would have experienced? Uh, Zainab, do you like it? Go okay. Yeah, go on. So machine learning is actually um, comes under the umbrella term of artificial intelligence. And we use machine learning in order to um, start building patterns and to see whether the patterns that we build, we will be able to apply to, um, to, for instance, 
uh, clinically, so like in scans. So if we do have um, scans of eye, eye imaging, for instance, I mean, our eyes can only spot like um, certain changes, but by using machine learning, we would be able to actually see, potentially see changes that the human eye might not be able to detect. And this is exactly what machine learning is. So we're going to be using this algorithm and apply this algorithm to tens of thousands of images to see um, even the minor changes that occur in retinal imaging or brain imaging and so on. Thank yeah, you. I uh, I like an example, for example, like you asked for an example, and I think uh, uh, Race Against Dementia is quite a unique uh, place in uh, this machine learning world, because we are collaborating with McLaren and Red Bull, and we are trying to apply their machine learning approach into our data. So I think uh, it is so powerful having this collaboration between engineers, clinicians, uh, you know, um, computer scientists uh, that can really bring to methods in the clinical research so yeah, that's just one of the examples of how we are trying to apply that and i i mean the example i use only because i know about this is at moorfields eye hospital isn't it so i don't know if you all remember um when we all went to the opticians a few years ago they started saying oh would you like to pay extra for that picture at the back of your eye to see if it's getting worse and then um because the opticians, uh, as I understand the stories, the opticians couldn't necessarily then know what to do with the pictures that came back. And if any slight issue that was raised, what it prompted them was to refer them to the eye hospital. And of course, as a result, the eye hospital started getting tons of referrals for people that they couldn't necessarily cope with. And so what they did was they fed a clever computer from a big search engine company. I, think um lots and lots of pictures and said right this is one that has the issue this is the one that hasn't and trained this computer by getting it to look at some and when it already saying here's a picture and this is what it tells us and if you give a computer enough of those and then give it one without telling it what it can tell us it can say oh i think based on all the information you've given before it's like this one uh and so what they could do then was teach a computer to spot what otherwise are not ophthalmologist would look for um, and they could then do it actually more accurately and to start with they still get doctors to look at them and go yes I agree with the computer but then over time trust builds up and you can start to use a computer and I guess that could be where it goes with Alzheimer's with eye tests as such exciting potential <laughs> definitely and that machine is actually called um, OCT so optical coherence tomography the one that you've uh, mentioned and there are uh, sorry, there are other um, eye imaging uh, te um, techniques available as well, other than OCT. Uh, Amara, PET scans are quite routinely used in, in dementia. Can you tell us, so for anybody who's watching who might want to participate in a study who's been told, oh, you're going to have to have a PET scan, what does that actually involve? What's that like? Is that quite invasive? Does it hurt? Is it scary? What What's it like to get a PET scan? So there are pros and cons in comparison to other brain imaging uh, techniques, like, for example, structure MRI. Um, so the difference is that we inject this radioactive dye in the blood. So, of course, we need to be uh, there are a lot of safety measures uh, to do this and the calibration of the radioactivity, because these are very powerful tools because goes and binds proteins in the brain. Uh, but like it's not dangerous at all. There is like always a consultation for 
how much radioactivity a person can get through the PET scan. But if we think about PET scan is basically the same amount of our radioactivity that we observe in our body just living in a, a place for a few years or getting on a plane and going to San Francisco from the UK. Um, so it's not dangerous in that way. Um, is less noisy than such MRI and basically when you lie down you basically can just uh, fall asleep in the scan uh, which is good sometimes it's nicer being uh, a bit isolated from the world and just fall asleep uh, so yeah I think uh, uh, there are pros and cons but it is such a powerful tool because it's the only way to measure the pathology in the brain in living uh, uh, people with dementia uh, rather than back then when we didn't have PET we just had uh, the post-mortem validation of what happened in the brain uh, with brain donations well now we can do that in real life thank you very much um, I'm, I'm discovering in real time that, that people have a problem donating because apparently the the don't the donation link has expired so I'm, I'm frantically trying to fix that while while this goes on but um while I I'm slightly distracted looking at that Scott uh, mm. for those who are watching who really don't know uh you know kind of who are thinking about what what they could do what what would you hope that people who are watching today will will take away and what what do you what's your work all about what do you want them to do I, I think, well, number one, you know, it's been fascinating to me listening to the talk about the research because I've, I've uh, joined up myself for the for the whole plan. I'm, and I was matched to various trials that I can take part in. And I, I started those over the last few days. The initial ones for me are going to like cognitive ones that I can do over the computer. But I've also said that I will go forward and do any physical trials that need to be done. And I think, you know, I, I think that's vitally important that all of us play our part in that. Of course, there's the donation side, which I know you're trying to work out, at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> which is fantastic. You're just talking when amongst yourselves. Well, <laughs> when, when, te when technology works and it is really so essential, the donation and also what can you do to help start those donations? You know, we can all do different things. Not everyone is going to be able to bake cakes and have a coffee morning. Not everyone is going to be able to run a marathon, but I'm sure there's something that we can all do in our own way to help. And if there's nothing that we can do because of time or our own ability, of course, just donating as little or as much as you can help so much in the long run you i mean it's been a wonderful week hasn't it in terms of you know this breakthrough that has happened and all of this has been after years and years of research and people supporting i mean i very foolishly said i'm going to run my third london marathon in 2023 <laughs> uh, i said never again after the first one and the second one uh, but this will be the final one i know we i'm going to run with a team called babs army for Alzheimer's Research UK. So there's all things like that you can do. And before anyone says, yes, Scott, but you're young and fit. No, it's gonna be before five days before my 60th birthday. I'd never run before I was 55. It's amazing what you can do. And I cannot tell you the health benefits uh, that go with that. And especially I'd say the mental health side of it. So they're the things you can do. You can join the Dementia Research Service uh, you can donate, you can become a dementia friend, 
you know you can learn more about it and and i think that's something we all need to do as well is to be more aware because there are so many people that this affects now and uh, yeah silly things like you know have we ever thought about when we're in a supermarket and there may be someone an older person maybe who is seems very vague or has just stood still in the middle of the aisle and seems to just be staring or in your way and your initial thing would be to get impatient that could be dementia that that could be a sign of dementia there's so many different things that we need to be aware of how we can help people and be considerate and compassionate before we get on with that kind of rush of our own lives and of course you know i don't being a carer is another thing there may be people now who are, who are listening to this who are carers themselves and that is an incredibly difficult situation to be in and cope with because ma the majority of us are not qualified to be carers what we do is we learn as we go along and it's a very frightening process not only for the person who has had the diagnosis but also for the loved ones and for the families because it will change your life as well from the day of diagnosis and all I can say, you know, in my own experience, and I am no expert, are the things that I learned. And, and that is that I had to learn day by day as I went along for the changes that would occur within Barbara. Um, you won't always get it right. And you have to forgive yourself because you're human. Uh, and, you know, you do, you can be guilty of getting a bit irritable sometimes when someone's asked you the same question. 15 times and you think that you've just finished that question for the 15th time and they look at you as if it's the first time they've said this and ask the same question again you may take a deep sigh you may show it through your eyes but you must forgive yourself you're human you will do the best you can and the, and the only other thing I can say is when Barbara was in her moments of what I'd say being lost um, being frightened, confused, extreme confusion. I would just try and talk to her very gently. I'd just try and hold her hand. I'd talk to her, I'd say her name, I'd say my name, I'd remind her of our relationship, which at times she had forgotten. Um, you know, that's the other thing no one can ever prepare you for is when someone that you know so intimately and have been with for so many years looks at you and honestly says, how do I know you? Who are you? Uh, nothing can prepare you for that. But these are the realities. These are why we are desperate to find these breakthroughs. And this is why the work that all of you do, you know, that I'm, as I say, it's my privilege to share this platform with you today because of the work that you do. I, yes, I can make a noise. I, I have Barbara's fame to use for that. And thank God everyone is. I just think of myself as a minute part, a minute little cog in this incredible machine with you guys being the main function of it who really can make the difference no thank you scott i, I think you're right and if I, I mean so many people will be going back and visiting their loved ones over christmas and their family and things if mm. if you spot anything if you're uncertain it's so important to just i i know everybody's been a bit afraid to bother the nhs right now and go mm. see their doctors but it's incredibly important that that there are 
despite what you might think, there are things you can do. And going and getting that diagnosis, going to the memory clinic and getting those checks gives you some information. And there are, there are lifestyle changes you can make if you if you have vascular dementia. There are things that can do. And until you get that diagnosis, you can't get that intervention. That's the, the support that is there and the potential to participate in some some amazing clinical trials and other research through joindementiaresearch.nihr.ac.uk. Thank you very much, Scott Mitchell, Mara Malpetti, and Zainab, I'm going to pronounce your name right this time because I wrote it down, Zainab uh, Sahan. <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, the, the three Thanks of you so much, Adam. joining really? us. Um, for anybody who's watching who's having problems donating, um, it's because I've obviously made a mistake and given the expiry date as the date the event takes place however we have a backup donation page and i've just very quickly emailed my very super responsive web person who's going to change that to our backup web donation page so uh, in a moment you'll be able to go to chatathon.uk forward slash donate and it'll take you to a new a new donation page where you can still donate uh or in the meantime if you're watching on youtube or uh, twitch or on facebook there's a link in the chat box there. Thank you very much, Scott, Zainab, and Mara. Uh, and um, we're going to come to our next guests now. But before we do that, I'm going to play a short film because I need to top up my water and um, stop panicking slightly as we lost the donation page and lost the stream in that session. So that was a good one. We'll be back shortly. Uh, and Scott, are you sticking around? Have you got to go now? Unfortunately, You're I gonna do go. have to go, but I've i cannot tell you thank you for having me on it's been a that, privilege to take part that's all right super thank you very much everybody thank you so much bye 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 well with players like david beckham you do feel there are certain moments of destiny yes! football should be unforgettable unforgettable goals Unforgettable saves. Unforgettable moments. Unfortunately, some people will forget. Fans like Steve and Sheila and Tommy. But with a better understanding of dementia, we can help all those living with it. Alzheimer's Society and the FA supporting fans and players affected by dementia.